What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. It is clearly now the will of the Parliamentary Conservative Party that there should be a new leader of that party and therefore a new Prime Minister. Politics in general has taken total leave of its senses. Changing one man at the top of the Tory party won't make any difference. He won't fix the problems. Let's have a fresh start for Britain. Let's have a real change of government. You're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Ewan Potts. And good afternoon, I'm Caroline Hepke. Coming up on today's programme, an exclusive interview with the Labour leader Keir Starmer and we talk to the TUC's Kevin Rowan as the nation heads for a summer of strikes. But first, the Conservative leadership campaign continues today with Tom Tugentart out of the race. With Tory MPs being fought over by the remaining candidates, Tugentart won't be drawn on who he would endorse. I'm not going to be talking about any candidates at the moment. I'll listen to what they have to say and I'll be making my judgment later. But thank you. Thank you for being with me. So Tom Tugendhat speaking there. Well, one person who likely won't be worrying quite so much about the next knockout vote this afternoon is Rishi Sunak. He's almost guaranteed to be in the final two candidates who will be put to the wider Conservative Party membership over the coming weeks. Well, it feels strange to be mentioning this second, but the government has survived a vote of no confidence yesterday, but it was one that he actually called in itself. Parliament voted 349 to 238 after the vote was called to settle if Boris Johnson should stay on as Prime Minister until the Conservative Party finds a replacement. Boris Johnson defended his record in what could be one of the last times he speaks in the House of Commons as Prime Minister. We on this side of the House took back the sovereign right of the British people to determine their own laws and their own future in Parliament. And for that, I say to colleagues on this side of the House, your place in history is secure. So from one uh, leader of the major political party uh, here in the UK to another, we may not know the Conservative Party candidate for Prime Minister in the next general election, but they are likely to face the leader of the opposition, Keir Starmer. Well, while the Conservatives debate tax cuts, their main opposition at the IHN next general election uh, says that he is focused on the climate crisis and the cost of living. Bloomberg's Emily Ashton sat down with the Labour leader to talk about his vision for the country. The single biggest problem of the last 12 years has been low growth. It's why we've got such an acute cost of living crisis, why we've got inflation that is so high, prices so high, taxes so high, but growth has been low. And so what we want to make absolutely clear is that the mission of an incoming Labour government will be to grow the economy, to reboot the economy and make it grow across the whole United Kingdom. Obviously, we also need to rebuild our public services and unite the country. But the economy is going to be absolutely central to the argument that we want to make to the country. We've had 12 years of failure. And I think that uh, any sense that the Conservative Party is the party of the economy has just been blown out the water. And if you look at the leadership race that's going on at the moment, you've got absolute fantasy economics going on. Hundreds of billions of pounds of unfunded uh, spending commitments. So there's no way the Conservatives can claim that they're the party of economics anymore. 
because obviously we've seen the leadership debates. Have you yeah. been watching them this weekend? Well, I've watched as much as I can bear. Um, and um, I hear that the one today isn't going to go ahead. I have to say, uh, for individuals who say that they want to put themselves forward to be prime minister, to then pull out of TV debates because they don't like the scrutiny, speaks volumes about the circus that's going on in this leadership campaign. But what I would say is, look, we've got a heatwave today. People are really struggling. We've got an ongoing cost of living crisis. You've got a Prime Minister who's basically checked out, he's not doing anything, and a Cabinet that's completely distracted by this circus. And I think for millions of people, uh, they're going to be looking on despairing at what's going on. But the debate seemed to be candidates. Um, it's almost an arms race to promise tax cuts. Um, and I wanted to ask you, is that sensible? It's ridiculous. £330 billion worth of unfunded spending commitments. This is fantasy economics. Uh, it isn't possible. It isn't going to happen. It's in complete disarray. They've, any sense of economic credibility in the Tory party has been absolutely shot through in the last seven days um, or so. They're tearing each other apart. They've run out of road. They've run out of energy. And they've completely run out of ideas. Are there any taxes that need to come down, do you think? Well, we would never have imposed the national insurance tax because we felt very, very strongly that... Um, in a cost-of-living crisis, the last thing the government should do is to make it worse for working people. That national insurance tax made it worse for working people. So it's more acute in this country than it is in many others. And around the country, wherever you go, um, people say, I can't pay my bills here, I'm really struggling here. Um, and so we certainly wouldn't have introduced that tax. And fuel duty, does that need to come down? On fuel duty, there are things that can be done. But for the government, I think that they should have had an emergency budget. We know the cost of living crisis is affecting millions of people. We know it's projected to get worse in September, October. So what would you do about fuel duty then? How much should it come down by? Well, look, that would have to be done in an emergency budget when we look at everything in the round. But at the moment, you've you've got a government that is... Um, you know, not even doing the day job. And can I ask about inflation? We've seen inflation surge to 40-year highs. How much is the Bank of England to blame for that? Is there anything you would do to change how it operates? Well, I think the focus ought to be on what the government can do. Um, And, you know, this has been coming for many months now. There were steps that they could have taken along the way. There were obvious things, like the windfall tax, which we were arguing for for months and months and months to tax those oil and gas companies in the North Sea who'd made more money than they were expecting and use that to pay or help to pay towards the bills of people uh, most in need by up to £600. It took the government months and months and months before they did anything about that. They put up national insurance tax in the middle of a cost of living crisis. So there are things, the government keeps pretending (laughs) that this is some global problem and they can't do anything. There are things they can do, there are levers they can pull, and they haven't been doing it. But some say the Bank of England didn't move quickly enough on interest rate uh, rises. Does it need to be tougher? Well, look, I mean, in the round, we need to do everything we possibly can to keep inflation down. But I'm utterly focused on what um, the government, uh, I say, is doing, actually isn't doing in relation to the cost of living crisis. And we're likely to get September, October again. Um, and... Uh, you know, we'll have this repeat pattern of a government that isn't prepared, hasn't got anything in the pipeline. And if we've got any of the candidates that are currently debating in the leadership circus, then I don't know where we're going to be with the economics in the autumn. Well, can I ask you about pay rises then? Because we see that workers across the UK are demanding higher pay, rail workers, nurses, teachers, barristers. So what is a fair level of wage increase, do you think? Well, first, I really understand the frustration that so many working people have in different fields, as you've just said, because uh, they are really struggling to pay their bills. So I understand that. 
Obviously, many of these negotiations will be sector by sector within designated frameworks. We need to let that happen um, so that people can uh, negotiate in the way that they normally would on a yearly basis, and we'll see what the outcome of that is. But I do think that the government needs to act. To that the, the real source of the problem is this cost of living crisis, and that's where the government needs to step in. What worries me about uh, the pay negotiations is you've got a government that's really hands-off and says nothing to do with us, we don't need to lift a finger um, to help people through this cost of living crisis, and that's just not good enough. So on public sector pay, for example, we see the pay review bodies are uh, reportedly going to offer 5%. Would you support that? Well, let's see what they offer. Um, let's see. They go through that negotiation. It was within a framework. They do it every year. See what the offer is. What I want to see is the government doing its part, which is supporting those negotiations, but also taking other measures to reduce the cost of living crisis on people. Because, you know, pay rise is only one thing that can be done. The government's got many levers that it could pull, and it needs to get on and actually face up the cost of living crisis, which is affecting so many millions of people. On the rail strikes, you asked your front benches not to go on the pickets. A number of them did. Have you spoken to them about it? Will they be made to apologise? Well, on, on the rail strikes and on any of the strikes, um, none of us want them to happen. Um, those uh, that are going on strike don't want to go on strike. They, of course, lose pay when they do so. So what I was, the case I was making is that the government shouldn't just sit back, do nothing and try to feed off the division. The government should get round the negotiating table, as happened in Wales. Um, in Wales, uh, where we've got a Labour government, there was the encouragement to get round the table and the issue was resolved. That's responsible leadership. What you've got at the moment is um, a sitting Prime Minister um, who his own party have declared is unfit for office, doing nothing, and a cabinet completely distracted, and that's simply not good enough. But your own front benches, you asked them not to pick it, they did. So are you going to do anything about that? Well, we've already dealt with that issue, but... Um, How did you do case, that? Well, the, you the, talked to them? We, we've had discussions with them, but the case I was really making was about the responsibility of a government, and the responsibility of an incoming Labour government, because what we would do is to get round the negotiating table, bring people together, not just sit back and feed off the division. Mm -hmm. And the Conservatives are warning that if people vote for you, they'll end up with a kind of chaotic mix of Labour, <laughs> the SNP and the Liberal Democrats. You can't even ask me that with a straight face. I know, that you've, I know that you've ruled out a coalition with the SNP. Have you ruled out a coalition with the Lib Dems? Yes, ruled out a coalition with anyone. We want a Labour majority um, and we are confident that all the hard work we've done in the last two years, changing the Labour Party after a very bad election result in 2019, all that hard work uh, is beginning to pay off. So we're going for a Labour majority. But I don't think it's possible for anyone with a straight face to say that there'll be chaos with Labour when all we've got is total chaos with the Conservative Party at the moment. Total and utter chaos. If people want a definition of chaos and politics, look at the government you've got at the moment. Have you ruled out a confidence in supply arrangement with the Lib Dems? I'm ruling out any arrangement. We are going to go for a Labour majority. We're confidently going for that. I've made it clear why I'm not prepared to do a deal with other parties. We've done a huge amount of work in the last two years to get into a position to win an election. We're going to go on with absolute confidence and win that election. And I know last year you told me there was a mountain to climb for Labour. Do you feel like you're halfway up that mountain? I do. I think we've made real progress. Um, I said just over two years ago when I took over that we had that mountain to climb. The 
first thing we needed to do was to change the party. When you lose very badly, you don't look at the public and say, why didn't you vote for us? You look at your party and say, what have we got to change? Done that hard work. The local elections this year in May and then the Wakefield by-election uh, about a month or so afterwards showed us that if there was an election now, we would win it. That's huge progress in two years. We need to build on that. Not complacent. Every single vote has to be earned. But we've come a long way in two years. But you realistically think that you can overturn that 80-seat majority the next election? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I've never doubted that. People said to me when I took over two years ago, it's not possible, Keir. What we've proved in the local elections this year, in the Wakefield by-election, is that if there were an election any time soon, we would win it. That's huge progress uh, for the Labour Party. And finally, what do you make of all the Tory candidates kind of ruling out an early election? Uh, look, I think they're out of ideas, they're out of touch... Um, and I've never thought that the change we need is a change at the top of the Tory party. The change the country needs is much more fundamental than that. We need a change of government. We need a fresh start for Britain. That can only happen with a general election. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Well, the living standards of workers in the UK dropped in May at a record pace after pay rises fell to keep up with inflation. That's according to the latest ONS data. And one thing not dropping today is the temperature. Well, our next guest thinks that the government and employers need to do a lot more to safeguard workers on both counts. Kevin Rowan is the TUC's Head of Organisation and Services. He coordinates between the UK's trade unions on policy and is in the negotiating room with government. Kevin, thanks so much for joining us on uh, Bloomberg Westminster. Now, there are already uh, some health and safety guidelines on working conditions, aren't there? What's the thinking behind uh, you calling for uh, a maximum temperature for employees? Well, yeah, certainly the, the health and safety executive, which is responsible for workplace safety, is, is, is put, puts guidance out that says working temperatures need to be reasonable. Well, the guidance stops at naming a, a, a temperature where that's the case for hot weather. That there is a temperature guidance for cold weather and different temperatures for if you're doing physical work or if you're sat in the office. But there's no guidance uh, in, in terms of what a, a safe temperature is for, for hot weather. And we're all uh, sat here. I mean, I'm, I'm lucky I'm in a reasonably cool office 
uh, but other people are enduring temperatures well above the 30s in offices and that can affect people's physical health really quite badly it can uh, you know it can bring on uh, asthma attacks it can create headaches and dizziness and it can lead to long-term uh, health issues as well so we think uh, that employers and, uh, and, and health and safety regulators need to do more in order to make sure that workers are safe at work and that's just for workers indoors if you're working outside on a on a construction site or on uh, road works a day then it's going to be incredibly unbearable and we often see uh, uh, employers doing the right thing and looking after their workforce and trying to make changes to make sure they're safe but we often see employers not taking precautions and that can really make life very difficult and very unpleasant and actually dangerous for for their employees. Mm. Well, um, there's also a great concern that we've all woken up to that these sorts of temperatures could become much more the norm. I mean, the Met Office have made that statement today. How many workplaces do you think um, are unsafe or would become unsafe in the UK You know, if we see 30s, even 40 degree temperatures becoming far more normal in the summers? Yeah, well, I mean, I think as a UK, we're we're not equipped structurally at all to uh, to cope with these the, these temperatures in any kind of frequency. Very few of our workplaces are, uh, are, are you know, if you like, constructed to accommodate the kind of challenges that, that the, the excessive heat brings. But equally, our public transport systems are are not equipped for that. So, if we are going to see these kind of temperatures as predicted more often than we're going to have to look at long-term planning to try and make sure that all of our workplaces can accommodate that. I mean, it, I, you'll have heard and I've heard, you know, that this is exceptional. We're, we're, we're not used to this. And right now it is exceptional. And uh, if, if it's short-term, then you can make short-term fixes. But if we're going to be experiencing these kind of temperatures on a regular basis, then we are going to think have to think about the infrastructure of our buildings, our transport systems, our schools. You know, there are some schools where, you know, uh, windows don't open properly and it's just completely unbearable for teachers and pupils working in those environments so we're going to have to think about this and we're going to have to you know really yeah. kind of uh, plan our investment long term i want to talk to you about another subject now a, a story just crossing the bloomberg terminal heathrow re- refuelers are to go on strike later this week now uh, strike action in the public sector is something which we are almost primed to expect to later this year to, later today the government is going to announce its uh, pay rise for public sector workers. Inflation is at 9.1%. What pay rise do you think people should be expecting in the public sector? Well, um, it'll be interesting to see what the, what the government uh, do uh, announce today. Certainly we've seen in the private sector employers recognising that their workers are facing severe hard, hardship and recognising that they need to show goodwill in order to keep their their workforce on board and engage. And those those double-digit pay rise we've seen in, in some of the sectors are a, a genuine reflection of employers trying to do the right thing by their workforce where they can afford uh, to make those, those those payments. I would be surprised if we got anywhere near inflation in the government's offer to public service workers today, which will be yet another uh, pay, effective pay cut uh, on the back of 10 or 11, 12 or even longer periods of pay, pay, effective real-terms pay cuts for, for many public service workers. And this is real, it's a real shame really. I mean, it's only uh, a year ago we were clapping these public service workers and saying how important they were and key workers across the economy kept us going through the pandemic. Uh, and they shouldn't be made to pay the price mm. of the inflation that we're seeing. It's already, you know, they, they've endured pay cut after pay cut and we, we ought to be rewarding them properly. Yeah. Um... 
Uh, so what would be the figure that would be acceptable? And Treasury uh, sort of wants it to be around 3%, we think. Um, uh, inflation close to 9 Um Private sector workers' average pay rises have been 8%. Do you think that a 5% pay settlement would be would be appropriate? I think if the government offered 5%, then the, the unions concerned would, would consult with their members and, and see what they wanted to do about it. I would expect 5% to be rejected uh, uh, across the public sector. I don't think that meets the cost of living crisis that public service workers are experiencing. Uh, you know, We know that uh, education unions are asking for uh, 20%, which is a restorative uh, payoff. We know mm-hmm. that last year, Health workers rejected 3%, and that was when inflation was nowhere near uh, what it is now. Uh, and we know that civil service workers have, uh, have not only endured pay freezes, but are also facing 91,000 redundancies in their sector. So there's a, there's an awful lot of anger across uh, the public service and uh, public mm-hmm. sector because workers feel, on the one hand, that they're being applauded and valued very highly by, by members of the public for what they've done to get us through a really difficult uh, challenge and expect really the government to recognise that in their pay packets. And uh, if we don't see that, I think we'll end up with uh, hundreds of thousands of very, very unhappy public service workers. Kevin, I think the reality is is that public sector workers are not going to get double-digit pay rises, much less 20%. Would it be more realistic to aim for a decent pay rise of inflation or more for the lowest paid workers, and perhaps with those on higher salaries, doctors and head teachers, etc., settling for a bit less? Would that be a good compromise? Well, we're seeing the cost of living crisis right across the economy. People are on all kinds of wages. You know, The energy prices have risen, risen 23 times uh, uh, quickly than, than, than wages are rising. So it's, it, it's affecting everybody. And I don't think while the low-paid you know, low workers in our communities are certainly expecting more mm-hmm. severe uh, experiences in terms of hardships, it is affecting everybody. So I don't think we should start to slice the cake up uh, in quite that way. Uh, mm-hmm. All public service workers need a, a fair pay rise and we would expect the government to recognise that and pay them accordingly. Uh, but you know, equally, we're not in a, a bargaining situation. Uh, unions and employers and the, and the government put their recommendations into the pay review bodies, and the government makes a pronouncement on how they're going to uh, uh, respond to that. It isn't a negotiated uh, uh, process, so uh, you know it, it's in the hands of the government. We hope that they'll respond to the value that our public service workers bring to our economy mm-hmm. and the experience that they've been enduring through the cost of living crisis. And if they don't, then I think they'll just be making more and more public service workers unhappy. We'll see more leaving public service employment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that'll be a real challenge for us to deliver the public services that we all need. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.